heavy table justice made. He made that. But solid. <laughs> Yeah, it's a beautiful table. That's iron. Oh my Living God. with Justice is fun because he goes to blacksmithing shop in, at night. His class is at ACC. So I'll get up to go to work at 6 in the morning and find something like this just <laughs> oh sitting there. Gosh. It's a little bit like the cat that brings the bird and just drops it in your doorstep. You know? <laughs> so you can admire it. Justice drops his metal working at our doorstep so that we can admire it. All right, thank you, Jim. Mm -hmm. yes. Yes. Wow. The last song I think, I mean, I just love, I feel like Jim is really hearing the Holy Spirit more and more as he prepares the songs for each retreat. Um, the last song just struck me. I mean, I would have never thought of it in terms of the Nicene Creed. But as we dive into the history, the church was on the edge. Had it not been the Lord who yes. broke in through this council, the anger of the enemy, his hatred of the sun, could have mischaracterized the sun. And yeah, I'm just, I love it. Okay. We have a lot to do today. Lord, have mercy. Help us. Everyone should have a packet. If you don't have a packet, find a packet. It starts with the Nicene Creed. We'll get to that in a minute. All right, we have a lot, a lot to cover. It's going to be a good day. So this morning, you get me. <laughs> Lord have mercy. And this afternoon, you get Amy and Sandy. But we also have a yeah. We have a very special children's time with Caroline and Sandy. So, yeah. Okay. History, very brief. We're going to dive right in. Hopefully, did everyone see the movie I sent out? Yes. yes. Did anyone actually watch it? Yes. yes. Oh, you guys are good. I know the audio is a little dicey because I'm just holding my cell phone out and there's children playing and the waves are lapping, but hopefully you got a sense of some of the, uh, of the history and the importance of the Nicene Creed there on site in Nicaea. All right. So the first ecumenical council was in Nicaea in the year 325. That was the site of the, the pictures in the video, the lake with the submerged ruins of the church. That was where that happened. Okay, so Nicaea is today in Turkey. It also has the name Iznik. So it's called Nicaea Iznik. That's, I guess, the modern Turkish name for the city. Uh, and so the Nicaean Creed in a sense, came from that council in 325. In another sense, what we know is the Nicene Creed didn't because there was a second ecumenical council in 381. And the Nicene Creed that we know came out of that council. So from an academic standpoint, that's called the Niceno-Constantinopolitan Creed. I don't know why we say Nicene Creed when we could say that, but there you are. Exactly. I think you need to work that into a song. The second ecumenical council was in the Hagia Irini Church, which means holy peace in Istanbul. 
So it wasn't in Nicene, and that's why it's called the Constantinopolitan, because that was Constantinople at the time. Does that make sense? So if you look at your packet, those of you who are interested in this sort of thing, I put on the second page a comparison of the Creed of 325 and 381. And it's really well laid out where you can see what was taken out or moved around between the two creeds. Okay? One of the interesting things is the last part of what we know as the Nicene Creed was five words. I'm sure it was different in Greek, but in English, five words and in the Holy Ghost. So there's a lot added about the Holy Spirit and about the church in the 381 Council. Okay? Does that make sense? The other thing that was taken out uh, in the 381 Council was the anathema at the end. <laughs> there are those who say, and this is where the, the kind of had it not been the Lord who was on our side, <laughs> there are people who are speaking wrongly, we know today, about the Son of God and his nature. Of course, it was a big question then, what, how do we talk about this? What is the truth? And so this is saying, those who are speaking this way, the Arian, kind of in the Arian, now we would say heresy, you know, they're wrong. That's at the end of the 325. I'm glad you didn't have to work that into your song. <laughs> All right. Any questions about history? Well, there, there, there are people in this room who know more about it. But that's a really brief history. Hopefully that combined with the video gives you a sense of what was going on around the formation of the Nicene Creed. Resources. Okay. Resources for studying the Nicene Creed. Number one, the Catholic Catechism. This is actually the only book I found that goes line by line through the Creed and explains each line, provides a lot of scriptural basis. I mean, this is an excellent, excellent resource. Part one, section two covers the Nicene Creed. Okay? It's also interesting because there's a side-by-side -side comparison right before that, of the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed, so you can kind of see the difference between those two. All right, so I highly recommend Catholic Catechism. All right, another one. Let's see what's next in my list. D.H. Williams, I don't have that book, but it's recommended by Danny Malachowski's Evangelicals in Tradition, the Formative Influence of the Early Church. So this is a Catholic resource. This is a Protestant resource. Yeah, I, I have the book, and I know him. Oh. He goes to my church. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> yeah, we were both taking like a lot of classes from Dan, weirdly. So, so guy. recommend it? Yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah. So if you want it's lunch with this guy, just ask Dad <laughs> or her to ask him. I didn't realize. He teaches at Baylor? Yeah. yeah. Okay. okay. An Orthodox resource. So Jaroslav Pelikan was Anglican and became Orthodox. This book, I'm just going to read the recommendation by Rowan Williams, the Archbishop of Canterbury. A guy who probably isn't given to lightly praise something. As might be expected, this is a holy magisterial survey of an immense quantity of disparate material. I can think of no other work that remotely approaches what this sets out to do, and I have no doubt at all that it will become one of the indispensable works of reference for any theological scholar. Mm -hmm. wow. Pretty good, pretty good recommendation. Mm -hmm. Pelican also wrote a really good book on Mary. Nice. Yeah. So Pelican teaches, I think, at Princeton. Is that right? 
I'm looking at Hogan. I think Princeton. Um, and this book talks not only about the Nicene Creed, but talks about pretty much every statement of faith that's been produced in the history of the church. And he's talking, he's going through the history of them all. And then he has a five-volume set of which this is the introduction that, that has each one of those and goes line by line through them. So, Pelican. <laughs> I would summarize it for you, but it's kind of hard. Okay, a couple other resources. So that's Catholic, Protestant, Orthodox. Protestant, again, J. N. Kelly, Early Christian Creeds. I don't have that book. Anybody know J? Bueller? Carl Truman, The Creedal Imperative. This is a Presbyterian of the Presbyterian Reformed tradition. And essentially, he's addressing the question, okay, all you Protestants, Evangelicals, Independents, who say, my only creed is the Bible. He says, actually, that doesn't really work. So that's what, that's what Truman is focused on. So if you're interested in that perspective, then this is a good book. Have you read that one? I've read much of it. Not all of it. Yeah. And lastly, uh, rounding out the streams of the body of Christ worldwide, Messianic Jewish, uh, Mark Kinzer in his book, Searching Her Own Mystery, Nostra Atata, The Jewish People and the Identity of the Church. A great book. And the Appendix 4 has an extensive look at the Nicene Creed from a Messianic Jewish perspective. Very interesting all right. So those are just some resources. If you want to dive deeper, there's, you know, you can go as deep as you want into this rabbit hole, I'm sure. All right. Are you ready? <laughs> Theology. So we were having dinner with Mark and Karen recently. And Karen said something that I hadn't ever really formulated into words, but I realized as soon as she said it, oh, you're right. She said, you said, you guys are really wise that your retreats focus on formation and not so much on theology. I'm putting words in your mouth, maybe. This is what I heard. Because, because theology can be divisive, but formation, we all need formation. So it's a really good way to bring everyone together and have us move in the same direction. Something like that. You remember that? I'm not misquoting you? All right, great. Anyway, even if you didn't say it, it's a good thing. <laughs> I heard it. Brilliant. <laughs> like my friend Karen always says. <laughs> but today we are going to talk about theology. You can't talk about the Nicene Creed without talking about theology. So, theology and Christ the Reconciler. There are dangers of theology. Thus, kind of Karen was intimating that with what she said. There are also really important benefits of theology. I'm going to give a very quick summary of some of the dangers and some of the benefits. All right? I'm not saying don't theology is bad, throw it out. I'm not saying that. Don't hear me say that. I'm saying, as with anything else, there are dangers with prayer. There's dangers with prayer. There's dangers with fasting. That doesn't mean don't do it. It just means be aware of the dangers and avoid them. Okay? Everyone with me? All right. Now, 
I'm going to start with the dangers. And I think I can illustrate most of the dangers of theology with one hypothetical situation. All right? Let's say I was to stand before you and announce that I was writing a book, my magnum opus, a systematic study of my wife by Thomas Cogdell. Now, this is not just a book. This is multiple volumes. Volume one. Her attributes, qualities, and essence. Volume two. Phenomenology of Amy, part one. Various means by which she communicates herself to us. And, of course, phenomenology part two. Our limitations in correctly apprehending her. <laughs> Volume four, methodology of marriage. Okay. Now, I obviously had a little bit of fun with that, but I have a question for the women in the room. How many of you think this would be a good idea? <laughs> for me to focus and work on this book. Raise your hand if you think it's a good idea. It is not because it's not a worthy subject. It's not, right? But give me some sense. What is it about it that you're like, oh, that would be a bad idea if I were to do that? Just because we like to stay, we like to be, still be mystery. We like to be mysterious. Okay. So one of the dangers there is that I take something that's mysterious and I try to reduce it. To something that's yeah. perfectly comprehensible. Yeah. It's better to know her yourself. Okay. Then learn about her from a book. Oh, interesting. From the perspective of one person. Oh, perspective of one person. Better than any, anyone else. Well, putting it in a book suggests that she doesn't have sort of agency to be different. Mm -hmm. mm. Mm. Yeah. On the other hand. <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> Amy likes this book. <laughs> I didn't know about this. No, I, I told her I was going to surprise her today. On the other hand, to, to meditate and to contemplate and to write is an act of love and contemplation. It's not a bad thing at all. Yes. Very good. I was going to say, only if you said good things, like right things. <laughs> I think the volume of nature of, of your proposal implicates that you have a full knowing or a solid knowing of a different person. We always have our implicit biases and misunderstandings and um, filters that we see and interact with people, even though we're close to. Mm -hmm. Like, assuming that you're an authority on Amy, you know, is inherently flawed. Who else? <laughs> so. <laughs> oh, interesting. <laughs> okay, so some dangers of theology, we've already brought them out. Okay? And I'm going to list them. So potential damage to our relationship with God. This is along the lines of what you were saying. So potentially, I mean, I remember a saying in biology at St. John's College. In order to dissect something, you have to kill it. So you don't want to kill your relationship with God in order to explain it. So that's a danger. 
Okay? One of the dangers there is the objectification. So Amy becomes an object for me right. if I'm writing a book right. about her. Right? Yeah. And God becomes an object to us if we're, mm-hmm. it could, if we're focused on explaining. Okay. Pride wall building. I think you, you kind of hinted, many people hinted this. You, you think you're the only person or do you think your description is going to be, you know, the right one? So you can come out of theology with a prideful perspective instead of a uh, humility. All right? I think we've all seen this in the area of theology. And then I like this last one too. What if my writing of my book took away from my spending time with Amy? We have a limited amount of time. Right? What are we going to spend it on? So if I successfully write my book and then discover at the end of it I've missed the chance to actually know her, (laughs) that's not a good thing. And so prayer, formation, hospitality, these are important to us. So we have to we have to have wisdom in how we spend our time. Okay? Does that make sense? There's dot 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 because there's others. So these are dangers. These are things we want to avoid doesn't mean we avoid theology. It means let's avoid the danger and hold ourselves accountable for that. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. Benefits. Well, theology literally means study of God or knowledge of God. If you go back to the Greek roots, that's a good thing. <laughs> we all want that, right? I mean, it's beautiful because in a way, theo, the word theo in Greek is God. Logi comes from logos. So it's like God word. Almost like Father Christ, right? Logos. Logos. Wisdom than word, though. Is it? Yes. No. Uh, Logos is the first name. Yeah. Word is the first name. The children are here to keep you on. Great, I'm almost done. (laughs) Anyway, we speak about, how can we speak about God except with words? So this is important. Uh, We avoid seriously dangerous doctrines like Arianism. And lastly, come to the same mind. And Amy and I have been praying for a long time for theologians of unity, for the Lord to raise up theologians of unity. So we want to be balanced in our approach to theology. And I'd say pray especially for theologians of unity. Three examples of that, and then we have the kids' time. One is this book out of Turkey. This is recent. You guys, I think, mostly all know about it. This is a great example of theologians of unity. <coughs> Another one is George Byron Coke. This book, What We Believe and Why. He subtitles it, Christian Faith from its Jewish Roots to its Future Hope Beyond Denominational Struggles and Doctrinal War. So he's focused on theology, aware of the dangers, and trying to address them. And then the third and best example of theologians of unity for us to consider is the theologians who worked on the Nicene Creed. Think about it. Their work has resulted in remarkable unity throughout the church uh, for 2,000 years. So, that's it. A little bit of an introduction, and now, dun 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 it's kids' time! Yes. What about what?
together. Oh, first. Oh, yeah. So some of you have the Nicene Creed on your packet, first page. I'm also going to put it up on the screen. So we're going to read it together. I think it'd be appropriate to stand and read together. Now, I will say this for the Catholics in the room. I'm using the previous version of the Nicene Creed. And there's a reason for that, but I won't go into it now. So you'll, you'll hit the older language. All right. Together. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again, in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, with the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. I will start. And, and how much time, Amy? Have a seat. Uh, we probably about five, five minutes. minutes. For you five Can you put the first one up again? Since I haven't been with you in such a long time, I felt like God said I could bring my little bag of candies to give you at the end of our time together. So we're not going to have those till the end. Um, not that one, but just the words. Oh, the very first yeah. part? This is the part that we're going to talk about today, so I wanted to ask you some questions about it. This is the piece. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is, seen and unseen. And I'm going to ask you some questions about the very last part first. Seen and unseen. We're saying that we believe that God is the creator of all things, seen and unseen. What does that even mean? What is seen and unseen? Do you have any idea? Go ahead, Elena. Seen is where you can see something with your eyes. So let's tell me something that God created that we see, that you like. Trees. Tell me another thing. Houses. Houses. My nephew. 
A big nephew is probably the best of all his creation. That's right. Tell me something very, very large that God has created. Christopher? The universe. The universe. Clara? A mountain. Okay, let's just stop there. Now, what about unseen? God has created unseen things. Daniel? Right there. Like the air. A unicorn. That's an interesting one because it could be. It truly could be because I haven't seen one. Who else? What's some unseen things that God created that are kind of important? Angels. Angels is one. What's another thing like angels? Saints. So saints probably are people, so we could see him one time, though we can't see him right now. God. Himself. Well, yes. It's hard to talk about him creating himself, but truth be told, we haven't seen the Father in that sense. That's right. So there's an unseen world that we don't see with our eyes. There's a place that we might hope to go one day. It's heaven. It's heaven. That's also part of that unseen. So those are some things that we believe, even if we can't see. Now let's look at maker of heaven and earth. When the Jewish people would talk about their God, the people around them who worshipped lots of different gods, like gods who looked like even a frog, gods who looked like a cow, Gods who had looked like a bird, a great Gods eagle. Gods pretty much were cows. <laughs> Gods were cows? <laughs> well, not really, just they worshipped cows. Yeah, they did. And they made images like that. Remember what the Israelites did when they came? They made a they golden Moses calf. Yeah, calf. Yeah, so, so we believe that God is the creator of all the earth, and there's only one of him. He calls himself the Father, the Almighty. And I want to talk about the Almighty for just a minute. When, when you think of Almighty things, do you think of a Father immediately? What's an Almighty strong thing on the earth? What's a super big strong thing that you can think of? The earth is big and strong. Cordial? You mean like really, really big? Yeah. And super, super strong. Saturn. Okay, a planet. Clara, good. Water. Water? Like an ocean. Good. Yeah. Abby. Um, faith. Faith is a beautiful answer. Yeah. Grand Canyon. Okay, the Grand Canyon. Daniel? Gravity. Gravity. <laughs> All right, those are good. And so I'm, I'm going to take the Grand Canyon because we can think about how awesome and deep it is. Now, God didn't call himself the Mountain Almighty or the Grand Canyon Almighty or the Universe Almighty. He called himself the Father Almighty. Why do you think that is? Christopher? Because he calls all of us his children. There's something about his heart. 
that he wanted to make known. Are we about done, Amy? Oh, I don't know. Okay, there's, then, then now we're going to the first line, which is the line I really want to talk about. We believe in one God. So this could be a problem for us someday. Clara, what if you have a best friend at school and she is really your best friend? And she says to you, I want to invite you to my birthday party. But Clara, what God do you believe in? And your answer is? The Father. The Father and his son is named? Jesus. Jesus. And there's another one of the Trinity and that is? spirit and she says uh, no I don't believe in that God you can't come to my birthday party unless you believe in my God what are you gonna do you too and she says but you can't come to my party because you don't believe in my God how is that gonna feel yeah, a little bit sad and so she says, why don't you just not believe in that God and believe in my God? What would you do? She just doesn't go. And what if Christopher, you and Daniel were on a football team? Or you wanted to be on a football team, but the coach said, you have to believe in this God that we have, which is the calf God. Or you can't be on the football team. What would you say? <laughs> I don't like football anyway. Seriously, they're not going to be football teams before. Well, I'll find another team that I can be on. Or if I can't, I'll just not do it. Yeah, that's the thing. And now, Thomas, will you show those pictures? Because we have some stories in our Bible about people who had to face decisions like that, but way more difficult. What is this picture of? And where are those three men? Do you remember their names? Um, Shadrach. Yeah. Meshach. Meshach and Shadrach and Abednego. That's right. And that's in Daniel's day. And if you remember the story, what in the world are they doing in a furnace of fire? Oh, I, think they were I didn't, I didn't hear this, but I could. Yes, that's the king didn't believe in their God, so he got really mad. He actually set up a huge, tall statue. Daniel? And um, he ordered everyone to bow down to it, and whoever didn't would throw it into the furnace. And everyone bowed down except for those three. And they said, O king, even if you throw us in a furnace, we have to tell you we're not going to bow down to your God. Our God will save us, but even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down to your God. And what happened? Who's that other man in there? Jesus. Yeah. Jesus. And were they saved? Yes. yes. So they faced an awfully difficult decision. One more picture. Who's that, do you think? Daniel. Where is he? In the lion's den. And the same story happened. And so in this case, Daniel prayed three times a day to our God, but there was a law that the king made. You can't pray to anybody but me. You can't pray to any other God, and if you do, we'll throw you in the lion's den. So he really liked Daniel, and he was sort of, his, he didn't get that idea. 
His men. Christopher's uh, right. This king loved jealous. Daniel. Yeah. But the men were jealous of Daniel. Because the king loved him. And they set a trap up, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. And so when Daniel got in the lion's den, which made the king sad, what happened? He wasn't eaten. He was the next day the king ran and said, Daniel, are you? These are some of my favorite stories in the Bible because these are heroes to me about what happens when life tells me you cannot believe in the God who is so precious to me. What am I going to do? Am I going to say I don't believe? Or am I going to take whatever consequence comes my way like these brave men did? Take the consequence. That's it, Corey. Okay, that's what I wanted to teach. And so, Caroline is going to come. So, Miss Candy is a really sweet person, isn't she? But you can tell that, uh, that I've been a teacher because I'm going to give assignments. So, why don't we, first of all, we need a, I need a space on this table. Can somebody help me with this? Daniel. Good man. Can you, Corey, can you help move? Oh, you're unwrapping a starburst. That takes precedence. Let's, let's just scoot. I just need a space right here. So we're going to talk about, well, first of all, can you do something for me? Sure, thank you. Uh, would you give each person one of these, including, in fact, I'm going to get Christopher. Would you help her do this, please, son? Give each person one of these. And Corey, you're my math girl, aren't you? I want you to count out for me on the table. These are lentils, they're harmless. That's what I've got my I've got my friends here doing. I'll, I'll do it so they can stay in front. No, this is no this is I want I want, want them. Them. Pa pass them out. You go this way. Corey Hunt, I want you to count out. 20 of these and put them in a little pile okay we are going to talk about lentils what does this have to do with it's a humble thing we are going to talk about the fact that god is eternal who still needs a lentil do we need to do it let's do a take one lentil and pass it down okay Okay, so we're going to talk about the fact that God is eternal. Okay, does, does anybody, can anybody tell me up here of the remaining five, what does it mean to be eternal? What does eternity mean? Got any guesses? What, sweetie? He's the 20. Oh, there's the 20. Good girl. Okay. Yes, ma'am. Forever. And what does forever mean? Do you have one? What does is, what is forever mean? What does forever mean? Um, always. Always. Yes. Keep one for yourself. Forever means that it does not ever end. End. That's right. So. 
Okay. So who of the adults, do you have any, any philosophers or scientists in the group who can expand or put some decorations on that Christmas tree? Expand our definition of eternity. Anybody have any ideas? Yes, ma'am. Um, life of the ages. Life of the ages. Anybody else? I see some smart people in here. <laughs> I'd love a like a really good philosophical answer to that. Does anybody have one? Without beginning or end. Without beginning or end. Okay. So in other words, it goes on and 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 does not ever stop. Now. What does this have to do with lentils? Well, in your hand, you have one lentil. And let's say, how many has a grandma? Does anybody here in this group have a grandma who either is alive and she's close to 100 or, has, or lived to be 100 or something like that? And, and this can be anybody. Does anybody have a grandparent who lived to be 100 or is around the age of 100? You have a really good, <laughs> long life. Anybody? How, I did. How, how close to in the, in the 90s will count, but we'll, we'll okay. say yeah. in that range, 100 plus or minus. Okay, so let's say that this lentil, we have a lentil raid going on. Let's say that this lentil is 100 years. Let's say this is grandma you've got in the palm of your hand. Okay? Or let's say you live to be 100 years. Here you are. Your life, my life is in my hands. Okay? This is this is That's your lifetime. I've never got the whole life before. <laughs> You're holding it right now. Okay, this is a hundred years. So if I had two, and I'll be generous and say three, but it's really two and a half. Okay, that do you see that? Three three little lentils, but imagine one was one being split in half. That would be the Revolutionary War. Mm -hmm. That's how long ago the Revolutionary War was. Two and a half lentils. Exactly. Okay. 150 years ago. Now, we just, since we just celebrated 2017, if I have five lentils, now look, five lentils, I'm, I'm building my lentil supply here. Five lentils is the Protestant Reformation. Okay? So then, Corey, my mathematician, counted out for me 20 lentils. Who can tell me what happened 20 lentils ago, 2,000 years ago? What was going on in the world? Anybody know? A war. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> a war. We can say confidently there was a war something on earth 2,000 years ago. What else? What, what, who's our favorite person in the whole world who was born 2,000 years ago? Is that right? Jesus? Yeah. Yes. Okay. This is 20 lentils. 20 grandmas, 20 of your life. This is when Jesus was 20, born. 20. So what if, we, what if we put the... Okay. We have a, a metal pot. What if we um, started thinking about, okay, eternity. That's a lot of years. What if we did it this? And kids, if you want to put your hands in here, it's kind of cool to feel thousands of years. Mommy, <laughs> oh, wow. Awesome. Yeah, that would be great. Mommy, so you put your hands in there and feel this. Mommy, mommy, oh, wow. Oh, 
Claire, Claire can get in. Oh! Oh my gosh. Each one. This is 100 years of Okay. Oh, no. okay. <laughs> Don't make them go everywhere. Okay. <laughs> Okay. 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 So look at this. Now back up a little ones. bit. I want okay, sit back down. Mommy. Sit back down because I, I want them. To the evil pot. I want them to see. Look at I this. I also want that. The pot. Okay. Look. look at this. Now this is John. Did you do a report on how many lentils this is? How many? It's about uh, hundred fifteen thousand lentils. Okay, which would be how many million, how many million years? Oh, that's too hard to do. <laughs> what was it? I think you did it. This is a measly 11.5 million oh years. Mommy, what? Only Okay, okay, back up, back up. Only it goes on forever. Listen, okay, sit back down just for a minute. I want to say, I want to say a couple more things. Imagine 200,000 more of these. So what if we poured this pot out and had more pots and more pots. What if we filled up this room with lentils? <gasps> what if we went down the hall with lentils and we into the kitchen? We could have a great soup. <laughs> 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 that is what eternity is like. You know that? It's like a God If we filled up the whole world with lentils. Yeah, we'd just be getting started on eternity, right? It yeah, goes on and on and on. Because look, We listen. couldn't fill up Show me, does anybody still have their lentil, their one lentil? Yes. Oh, I have, it. I have it, I have it, I have it. Grab one. Mommy, yeah. this is your life. This is your life. Not really, this is my life. More like, think about, this is my life. Okay, shh, let's listen, listen. This is your life, and how you invest it determines eternity for you. And that's pretty cool, huh? Because if we invest it in the kingdom of God, hold on just a minute. If we invest it in the kingdom of God, we have eternal life with Him forever and ever. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Okay. Lentil lesson over. You can take your one lentil with you. Okay, one lentils. Can anyone get to lunch today? Lentils. 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 There's one left over. So much life. One to everybody. Okay, one more to everybody. All right, Abby? Yeah. Kids, don't leave. You just go with them. Okay. Christopher. Nathan. I, I, gave, I, gave I gave it to Abby, Chris. There it is. All right.
Thank you, Caroline and Sandy. Any reflections on the children's lesson? Who's right? Anything else? Don't have to add anything, I just. All right. Very good. We're going to dive back into the Nicene Creed. Starting with We Believe. We, who's we? Well, we just said the Nicene Creed together, right? Or probably a better word than said is confessed or proclaimed. So those of us in this room, those who have adopted the statement of personal devotion or will, that's the first part, right? How about each of our ecclesial communities? Catholic, Lutheran, Anglican, Pope Chapel, others. They would, they would be part of this we, right? Is the Eastern Church part of this we? Yes. In fact, this creed was written by the Eastern Church. In the first council of 325, there were some hundreds of bishops from the east that came. There were seven from the west. The seven did not include the pope. He sent a delegate. In the council of 381, it was all eastern bishops. Nobody from the west came. Wow. So this is an important point for us. We in the west, Catholic and Protestant, have received this creed from the East. This should be a statement for us of gratitude and of humility. We've made it our own, right? But it was, it was really a gift from the East. So that's a really good question. So if you meet an Eastern Orthodox, one thing you can say right off the bat is, thank you for the Nicene Creed. And that will honor them, literally, really. If you say that to somebody from that tradition, that will honor them because it's a gift that you've received from their tradition. In fact, the vast majority of followers of Jesus throughout history would say, they're part of this we. So I love the we. The we is great. The Apostles' Creed is an I creed. It's a baptismal creed. The Nicene Creed is a we creed. It's a community creed. It's a body of Christ creed. So when we say this, we say we're not interested in being novel or innovative or unique. We're proclaiming our continuity with the tradition. We're proclaiming our unity with the saints both present around the world and throughout time. So similar in that way to the ire in our Father. I love the ire in our Father. Whenever you say the Lord's Prayer, think about who you're including in that ire. Now, the Roman Catholic and the Eastern Orthodox change the we to an I for liturgical purposes. So when you're in Mass, you say, I believe, not we believe. But I love the we. We're sticking with the we at CPR. Okay? Believe. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. This is said in the New Testament, I think in uh, the Peter's. So I like the belief, too. Why do I like the belief? Because it leaves a lot of room. First of all, it's a statement of our faith. And faith, we could spend the whole day talking about faith. We're not going to. 
There's a lot of talk about faith, a lot of preaching about faith. It leaves a lot of room for our brothers and sisters in Christ to believe other things as well as what's in this creed that perhaps we don't believe. So when we say the creed, he says, here's what we believe. Now someone else might say, oh, I also believe X. I could give a lot of examples. Someone else might say, well, I don't believe that. I believe Y. But we believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty. So this is really critical for Christ the Reconciler, is that we hold the Nicene Creed in common, and we give each other permission to believe other things that we don't necessarily believe. And that doesn't cause division. We still say, you're my brother and sister in Christ. Does that make sense? There's a lot there. I'm going to move on pretty fast, but, but you know, sometimes we might tackle that because there's a whole thing you can say, okay, what are the crucial things? You know, and everybody has their own opinion on that. Well, the Nicene Creed is a, a really lovely place to just sit in common. Okay? Now, as a matter of fact, I have brothers and sisters in Christ who don't believe in the Nicene Creed and don't hold it. And I still consider them to be also brothers and sisters in Christ. They have reasons they don't receive the Nicene Creed. Okay? So believe has to do with faith. I love this from 1 Corinthians 13. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is faith. It's love. Oh, it's love. That was just what I was talking about. So faith is an indispensable foundation. You can't get rid of it. But the greatest is love. So as we interact with each other and with other members of the body of Christ, let's realize that we hold the same faith, but our goal is love. Okay? Now hope's in the middle. I love hope because hope has to do with the second coming. Right, Sandy? Yeah. Yeah. So we have the foundation, the end, and then how to operate in the middle. All right? Okay, we believe. We believe in one God. Sandy's going to cover this in more detail in the afternoon, so we're not going to spend any time here now. I believe she has a really important word for us. You've already gotten a little bit of a feel for it with the children. Okay? Sandy, we're looking forward to what you have to bring to us. We believe in one God, the Father. I'm pausing because here's where I need to slow down. We're going to look at the Father. Now, if we spend a lot of time on the Father, once again, we can not only do the whole day, we can do a 10-day retreat. So we're not going to cover the Father in all of its glory and detail. How will we approach it? We're going to approach it as we approach the Nicene Creed as a community. The Nicene Creed is a meditation on the Trinity. Okay? Amy says, said that it made it into the newsletter. The Nicene Creed, let's think of it as a meditation on the Trinity. We believe in the Father, we believe in the Son, we believe in the Holy Spirit. You saw that in Jim's song. So, I'm not going to so much 
come from a theological point of view as to say, let's meditate a little bit on the Trinity with this idea of fatherhood. Okay? That's going to be my approach. So, who is he the father of? Andrew? All of us. All of us. Good. Anyone else? Life. Father of life. All things seen and unseen. <laughs> All things seen and unseen. That's right. Fatherhood has very closely connected with creation. God is first the father of the son. That's where fatherhood starts. Psalm 2. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Messianic psalm. You are my son. You see a beautiful reflection of this in Mark. Just as Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my son, Psalm 2, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. This is a beautiful moment because you see the unity of the Trinity in this one picture. The Son, the Spirit, the voice of the Father. Ah, I get Excited just reading this verse. Back to Psalm 2. The Lord has said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Well, that should make us think of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So you see Psalm 2 reflected in Mark. You also see Psalm 2 reflected here at the beginning of John. This is where we get the begotten of the Father, the only begotten Son. It's not the only place, but significant place. All right? So the father, when we think about the father, the first place we have to think about is he's the father of the son. That's how fatherhood is defined. Any other expression of fatherhood derives itself from the relationship of God the father with God the son. Now, one of the things we love to say here is we are invited into the unity of the Trinity. So how does this work in this particular way of the Father and the Son? Well, let's look at this in John. Because John, I think, makes a real point of this in a beautiful way. So in John 1.13, at the beginning, he gives this little hint. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. There's this little hint. There's a possibility. 
God is the father of the son. But wait, there's more. There's the possibility that others could have God as their father too. Now the interesting thing in John is, Jesus makes a real point of saying, not God is your father and my father, of saying God is my father. This is, if you look at all the instances of father in John, you will not find Jesus talking to anybody else and saying God is your father. Here's an example, John 4, the woman at the well. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers worship the father, not your father, not their father, in spirit and truth, for the father is seeking such to worship him. A little more pointed here, John 8. Then they said to him, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you had known me, you would know my father also. It gets even more pointed. They said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Jesus said to him, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. You are of your father, the devil. And the desires of your father you want to do. This is pretty intense. This is not just a little side point. Jesus is hammering this point home. He is a liar and the father of lies, but because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. So this is pretty depressing so far. <laughs> right? Yeah. He's talking to who? He's talking there to the Pharisees. But surely when he talks to his disciples. Well, let's see. John 14. In my father's house are many rooms. Ah, but then there's a little bit of hope. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. Once again, there's this little hint of possibility. And if I go and prepare, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas asks an excellent question. <laughs> What a God. <laughs> Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father, not your Father, except through me. Once again, there's exclusion, but there's hope. See that? What's happening here? Jesus said to him, Did I say that already? If you had known me, you would have known my father also. And from now on, you do know him and have seen him. Once again, he's my father, but you guys are getting close. Yes? Maybe this isn't relevant to this discussion, but do you think he's making a point of, you know, um, like a lot of the fixation on Abraham and Moses and the forefathers being literal lineage and he's distinguishing like my father like I'm not referring to to those prophets or to those um, fathers of the faith it's part of it I mean you see that in John chapter 6 
But they say, we have right. Moses as our father. We have right. Abraham as our father. So do you think he's distinguishing from, from that trying to talk about the spirit? That's part of it. But wait till the end here and you'll see where it's going. Because in other Gospels, I think this is something John is saying. In other Gospels, right at the beginning, Jesus says, hey, let me teach you how to pray. Our Father. So I'm not saying that that's invalid. What I'm saying is John is making a point. Okay? So then, after John 14, we know what happens, right? Jesus is crucified, died, and rose again. Then, pretty much the first thing he says, the women come to the tomb, right? And what does he say to them? This is so beautiful. This is so beautiful. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. I mean, Jesus couldn't be emphasizing this, or rather John couldn't be emphasizing this aspect of what Jesus is saying anymore. My father and your father. Go to my brothers. It's the first time he's called the disciples his brothers in John. So what is he saying here? He's saying something happened at the cross. The way was opened at the cross for the relationship that God the Son has and has had eternally with God the Father to suddenly be available to other people. That's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful moment, I believe. So we see in Romans 8, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So remember, we're talking about this idea of we believe in one God, the Father. We're saying, let's take this opportunity to meditate on the Trinity and on the invitation that's been extended to us into the unity of the Trinity. So we've seen that Jesus, through his death on the cross, has made a way for us to enter into the same kind of relationship he has. And now we see the Holy Spirit is also involved. Right? He's giving us the ability to cry out. He's giving us the confidence. He's giving us the knowledge in our hearts. Yes, I am a son of God. Yes, the Father loves me the same way he loves Jesus. Okay? So awesome. It goes on. Now if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. This should be blowing our minds. Just saying. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So this brings us back to Psalm 2. The Lord has said to me, you are my son, and today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. 
So this idea of inheritance is really important in the father-son relationship. We see this on the earth, obviously. Okay? And it comes in here, it comes in in Romans 8. We get to be co-heirs now. So this is really fun. Because the nations is the Gentiles, right? You can pretty much read anywhere in Scripture where it says the nations, that means the nations besides Israel, the Gentile nations. So we are the inheritance of Jesus, the Son. We're also the co-heirs with him. How does that work? I love it. We are the inheritance and we're inheriting as well. So beautiful. All right. Any quick reflections or questions? There's a, obviously a lot more we could say about the Father. What I wanted to do more than anything was give you an example. How can you take this and begin to meditate on the Trinity through something like this? We believe in the Father. Brings us, you know, you must be born again in John. Now this begins to take on even more meaning. All right. The Almighty. You know, it's interesting to me, a little side note, the part about the Father is so short. Has anybody all noticed that? Compared to Jesus. I mean, this is God. How, why did we not fill pages and pages? I mean, Almighty is one part of his qualities, his attributes. Why not the merciful? Why not the just? It's just interesting to me that, you know, I think part of that is the context, that the question they were addressing was the nature of Christ. But there's other reasons, too, which I think Sandy might touch on. You know, there's things that this derives harkens back to that are short and creedal in nature. So we're inheriting it. So this is not meant to be exclusionary. He's only the Almighty, but he is the Almighty. Now, are we going to talk about this? No, we're not. We're going to pray about it. Okay? So in your packet, let me see if I should have a packet somewhere. There's a, a prayer to start the day. Do you see that? Prayer to begin the day. This is a Trinitarian prayer written by George Miley. I highly recommend it. He literally begins every day with this prayer. George does. 
We're going to pray the first part because the first part is such a lovely prayer that takes what we're talking about and makes it personal and takes it back up to God. And here's how we're going to pray it. I'm going to start with, we're all going to pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then I'm going to start with the, the bowl. And then someone else jump in with the next paragraph. Who? Whoever. We're not in a hurry, so don't feel like you have to. But when you're ready, pray that next paragraph. And then someone else after that jump in with the paragraph. So we're going to pray through it, not in a hurried way, but in a, you know, we can't take 30 minutes to do it, but, but I'm not assigning people to pray. Does that make sense? All right. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father, I thank you for the unique way you have created me. Since my birth, you have been with me, protecting and guiding me. 
Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Isn't that a beautiful prayer to respond to the first part of the Nelson Creed? Love it. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth. Maker. What do you think, Bree, when you hear that word, maker? Creator, also, it could obviously be. Crafter, I imagine hands. Create craft holding and touching, very making details. Yeah. Anyone else? I think of Dorothy Sayers' book, The Mind of the Maker, in which she makes the analogy uh, of orchestry uh, and, and painters and yes. sculptors and so and, and, and Christian heresies, really, <laughs> I think. But, but, she, but she does explore this idea of God is maker. Right. Is really, it should be a shot in the arm for the artists in our midst. Yeah, I think of a, this wild creativity of God. When I first got to know God well, I was in Cincinnati, Ohio, and went to the Cincinnati Zoo and went into the aquarium room. So there's a wall of, of fish on this side and a wall on the other side. So everywhere you turned, you saw it. And there were a skillion fish here and a skillion here. And they were. It was, the, it was like the most overwhelming thing to me to see them. They're so different. They're so amazingly beautiful and not. And everyone was different from the other, and there are so many. And some were on the bottom, and some were on the top, and some were swimming here of different sizes. And Madeline's going to bring Dobby in for an example. <laughs> and then you turned and saw them on this side, and I was aware that some are probably never seen by humans. They've been fished out of a place that only God sees them. And yet it pleased him to make them so wildly beautiful and different, and then not so beautiful and different, and so many, and all to his pleasure. Right. Yikes. I couldn't believe it. He had forethought of creation, right? If you ever have made something or created something, it wasn't just like by accident, right? And so God intimately knows all of his creation, you know, just like Jim Jane, you know, on that painting knows, you know, the pencil lines or what the canvas was like behind it, you know, we just see, you know, a, a, a portion of, you know, what the artist knows about uh, yeah. his creation. Yeah. And yet there often are little accidents that get incorporated in. And so I, I often wonder about that. Like what are the little things that, that go 
sets in motion, and Kathy Gregory will talk about that in the relationship with printmaking, that there are things you control and then things that are just set in motion by what you have put, and then you just watch, and you see, you see what it does. And so I think there's, I, I love that aspect yeah. of it too. Like the, the creating, creating the structure, and then you put the ink over it, and you see what happens when it interacts with the paper. So you're, you're yes. creating, creating yes. it, and, and watching it go. There's, right. the, there's the beautiful order that science addresses, like, you know, the phylums of mammal and, you know, reptile, etc. And then you also love God throwing out the platypus and saying, deal with that. <laughs> <laughs> what are you going to do with that? <laughs> yeah. Duck bill, lays eggs, gus fur. Have fun. Yeah. I love that um, where it says in Revelation, thou art worthy, thou art worthy, thou art worthy, O Lord. And for thy pleasure, they are created. Out, and thou art worthy, O Lord. Everything is created for his pleasure, for his enjoyment. And, 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 um, I remember one of my daughters saying she goes to mops out in like Georgetown and there's this woman who comes and speaks to the mops groups and she's an older woman and she's a potter and she sits as she talks at, about her her life and her um, what do you call it when our, each of us has our own Story. Well, whatever. I'll follow the story. Uh, her story, and and then she'll be forming this beautiful, you know, clay pot, and then all of a sudden she just smashes it down because of you know whatever part of the story she's in that that's what's happened, and then you know she continues and she builds it back up, and she says by the end of the story. After she's told all that God has done in her life and her family's life, everyone in the room is weeping. But there's just this beautiful pot, you know. But there's this constant, you know, it, it, it's just mud and water. Yeah. But there's this just constant process, and God is working in each of us in that way. It's amazing. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So this is the first thing we learn about God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Remember, we're, we're kind of playing with, experimenting with, enjoying, approaching the creed as a meditation on the Trinity. So what do we have in verse 2? The Spirit of God. Isn't that interesting? You have God creating, and you have the Spirit of God hovering. So right at the beginning, you have the Trinity involved in creation. 
Now, what did that look like? Well, we actually get a little hint of it. If you have a Bible, turn to Proverbs 8. If you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles around. Grab one and turn to Proverbs 8. So Proverbs 8 is about wisdom. And historically, wisdom has been interpreted as the Holy Spirit. Where it talks about wisdom in Proverbs and in the book of Wisdom, you can understand that there's revelation being given about the nature of the Holy Spirit. So Bree, I just love your voice in this whole area of creation. Would you mind reading verses 22 through 31? Proverbs, here you go. That's funny. So this is the Holy Spirit in creation. 22. 22 through 31. The Lord brought me forth as the first of his works, before his deeds of old. I was appointed from eternity, from the beginning, before the world began. When there were no oceans, I was given birth. When there were no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains were settled in place, before the hills, I was given birth. Before he made the earth, or its fields, or any of the dust of the world. I was there when he set the heavens in place, when he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep. When he established the clouds above and fixed securely the fountains of the deep, when he gave the sea its boundaries so the waters would not overstep his command, and when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was the craftsman at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world, and delighting mankind. Isn't that beautiful? So lovely. The Holy Spirit and the Father working together in the days of creation. Now this is poetry, so we're not going to try to make, turn it into theology. But when you're meditating on the Trinity, this is passages like this are very helpful. Because they give you a sense of the relationship between the Father and the Spirit. Right? In the act of creation. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence. What about Jesus, the Son, in the act of creation? Well, we know from John chapter 1, from Colossians 1, nothing was made that was not made through him. So then you begin to get a little window into, okay, you've got the Father, you've got the Spirit working in a certain, you've also got the Son involved in this act of creation. When we say, maker of heaven and earth, hopefully this begins to give you a picture of, I don't know if you've ever had the experience of working on a team in school or on our art project or something where it all just clicks and you're working together well and everybody's doing their role and what you're doing is beautiful and it comes out just right. If you ever have that experience, 
that's like what's happening only way, 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 I mean, a pot of lentils more, right? It's awesome. Well, we also want to meditate on the invitation into the unity of the Trinity. So here we have a beautiful picture of the way that the Trinity is working in creation. Do we get any sense of this invitation? It's beautiful. You certainly get it here, right? Rejoicing in this whole world and delighting in mankind. That takes us back to Genesis 1. And it was good, and it was good, and it was very good. What was very good? God created man in his own image. Male and female, he created them. So something about being male and female is a reflection of the Trinity. Let us make man in our own image. So right there you get a sense, okay, something's going on with the creation of man that has to do with the Trinity. And in fact, I'm going to go a little bit on a limb here and say, to me, verses 1 and 2 of Genesis 1, you have the masculine and the feminine. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Especially if it was a big bang. I mean, what guy doesn't like creating a big bang? Right? And the spirit was there brooding over the waters. I mean, such a, to me, such a feminine image. And then let us make, make man in our own image, male and female, created he them. It's just, oh, it's, there's something going on with God and the relationship of God to God. And in fact, the very act of creation is an invitation into the unity of the Trinity because it was unnecessary. The Trinity is perfectly content in a certain way in itself. Relationship exists through eternity between the persons of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And yet somehow, how can it be that a relationship is perfectly contented and yet also wants to expand and wants to create something else that's brought into that? Well, we see that all the time, right? A young couple gets married. They're beautiful and they're so content and they're delighting in each other and well, they want to expand. And so children are almost like an act of creation where you want to make something else that can share in this love that we're experiencing. And then the love changes and the nature of the relationships change. And I'm out of time. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 8, 5-6. We're going to get more of this later. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father of whom are all things, and then here's the invitation, and we for him. See that? And Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, once again, the invitation, and through whom we live. So we've been invited into this beautiful relationship of the Trinity through the blood of Christ. Pelican makes the point that this is pretty much the first part of the Nicene Creed. 
and that in many ways it's thought that this was an early creed of the church that Paul is quoting. Truman also makes this point and says, so you think there's no creeds in the Bible? This is one example of a creed that's cited by the New Testament authors. And they're saying, this is what we believe. Here's a summary of it. All right, I'm done. The children are here. <laughs> We're going to have bridge prayer. <laughs> so if you turn in your packet, I think the last page of your packet is bridge prayer. And we have a musician. Thank you, Jim. And I always forget to ask anyone else to lead, so I always end up leading. Would anyone else like to lead as a prayer leader, bridge prayer? It's really easy. Bree. Okay. So Bree will be our prayer leader, and I will be the bell ringer. Now, we have silence in bridge prayer. Today, the silence is not going to be silence because the children want to come and show us what they've been doing upstairs. All right? So that's what's going to happen very soon.
Like the right. unicorns. Yeah, like <laughs> unicorns and dragons. They could just be living on another planet. This is a planet. unicorn, <laughs> by the so way. Okay, I don't know what that is. All right, Christopher, what did you do? Um, that. Girl, I can't even read it. All right, so what does it say? Um, God made everything um, seen or not seen. All right, so you learned that he makes things that are seen and unseen. So, so that's seen. That is not seen. The invisible castle is not seen. <laughs> <laughs> and we have a lovely cloud here. And then that's all that's on our poster. some seen things, like the mountain, right? And some unseen things, like the wind and faith. Good. Can you want to tell us about what you did?
and when you pray, do not keep up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thank you, Jesus, for teaching us to say, our Father. So I, I encourage us in this moment to make special effort to obey his caution, the Lord's caution here. Focus on these, these aspects of prayer and to not be ashamed to pray briefly with few words.
brothers and sisters. Show us more, Holy Spirit, what it means to be your co-heir. Father, how I wish that your name would be loved throughout the whole earth whenever it's pronounced. It would be loved with the same vast ocean of love that you love us with. I wish the pronunciation of your name carried that love. so much for sticking with a long and diverse morning. Now we get a break for lunch. We have lentil soup. Praise the Lord. We do. I think we should call it eternity soup from now on. That's better than grandma's soup. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, most of you, I think, know the routine for lunch. What we need to do is take all the stuff off this table and make it a table we can eat around. There's a table here, a table here, and a table in the kitchen. Um, and you're responsible for going through the line yourself, getting your own food, finding a place to sit, etc. We will be bringing you back, try to bring you back right at 1 o'clock because we want to make sure there's enough time to hear from Sandy and Amy this afternoon. All right. Jerry, would you be willing to say a prayer for lunch? Just asking the Lord to bless our food. Lord, we thank you that we had this morning. 
and thank you for what everyone has contributed and that we can carry this in our heart. And now we ask you to bless this love to our bodies and thank you for the ones that did this. Amen. Amen. Guten Appetit. <laughs>